Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. A matchup so nice, we're doing it twice. Flames, Jets, round two this evening here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan, welcome to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. Peter Klein with you today. Going to be a busy show as always. Eric Dehatchuk joining us at the bottom of the hour as we break down another Calgary Flames victory from last night. This time in a shootout, uh, but a real fun one between the Flames and the Jets. Plenty of time for your texts as well, 960-960. Let's get into the breakdown and chat with Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Labardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Hello, Mr. Labardius. How are you today, sir? I am fantastic. How are you, Mr. Klein? I'm fantastic as well. Uh, it's We're now getting into the, the flow of this NHL season, and I'm starting to see what everyone else was talking about when the, the Flames had that five-day break where it's just hockey all the time and there's all of these matchups and everyone's playing each other all of the time. This is, this is fun, and, and I'm enjoying it, and uh, quite enjoyed the matchup last night. Flames and Jets, uh, I, I would say a well-deserved victory for the Flames, and I think a lot of positive notes to, to take from that one. Um, on a, a positive side of things, what stood out to you from Calgary's performance last night? Well, needless to say, when you find yourself down 2 to nothing in a similar fashion, almost exactly similar to what happened last Thursday in Montreal and your ability to find your way back to a better place, and needless to say, the right result, I really like that. I saw some great strides in their five-on-five game. They wound up with some really important penalty kills. Uh, In the case of Andrew Mangiapane, whose work almost every single night is very, very good. Great to see that work be rewarded with a goal, and I think that will give him great confidence. Peter, in many ways, though, for me, The big takeaway was the combination of Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau. And in particular, Johnny. And here's why. And don't miss our coaches show tonight. I would say this to our listeners every night with just having a chance to deal with Jeff and, and his honesty, his answers, his ability to break it down. It's I just feel lucky because I just, uh, frankly, I learn every single day that I get a chance to ask him the four or five questions on game day. So in the case of Johnny Gaudreau, if we look at his story, it got awfully hard, didn't it, for a long time? Awfully hard. And is there anything more difficult for a human in our workplaces, in our relationships, and and in our professions, when something we feel really good at, something we feel very much in control of our own destiny, doesn't feel very good anymore. And sometimes I've always been of the belief, and you know we're going to go to one of my favorite words, and that's confidence. For the best people at anything, I actually have always believed for a long time that when the confidence goes for those people, that rebuilding it can be incredibly difficult. And in the game last night, 
Now, Johnny has a point in eight straight games, and that's terrific. Peter, you're never sure in these situations whether it's the chicken or the egg or the combination of both. But Jeff Ward has spoken a lot about the better details in Johnny's game overall. The investment in becoming a 200-foot player. Um, Sean, to me, and, and you know we've spoken a lot about Sean and, and his physical play, more responsible. When you're more responsible without it, you have it more. But personally, I thought Johnny Gaudreau was at his absolute best last night. And it was about details, but for me, it was about I no longer see a player with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Johnny Gaudreau loves hockey. It has made him everything that he is. And I don't think playing hockey for him was a lot of fun over about the last year and a half. So you start producing a little better. You feel better about yourself. You know, you start to buy into some things because you understand that until you do it different, and that's the hardest sell for all of us, especially when we've been really good at something. How do we convince ourselves when it gets hard to do different? I think Johnny's taken some massive steps in that area, and I know it has not been easy. He was dancing. He was engaged. He was turning pucks over. He was holding on to pucks. And, Peter, our marquee matchup last night was about that line. And, listen, they've been asked to drive the bus a lot here, offensively. But for those people who say that just accept somebody for who they are and they can't be something that they're not, you know what I say to that? BS. Because I truly believe right in front of our very eyes, both Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau are becoming more complete players. And that has great value. Deciding you're not going to do different when it gets hard, I don't think in any aspect works. So Johnny is on a roll. You could see it. It was evident. Even Peter, go back and watch his last four even shootout attempts. He might not have to look any deeper or longer than at those in comparison to last night. Was that not an incredibly confident looking, feel like he was going to score and end the game player? Well, in looking at several of those shootout attempts, even this morning, I saw a difference there. Approach, body language, mindset, it's everything. And so he scores in the game he scores to seal it and here's johnny i believe a much more content happier dangerous hockey player after last night's game feel really comfortable i mean me monty uh playing really good in, in our d zone we're being smart um you know i think uh I don't think we've been out on the ice for a five and five goals, so I feel really, we feel really comfortable with that, and uh, we're getting our chances offensively. So uh, it's been good. Yeah, he's, uh, you know what, he's having fun. He's smiling, coming to the rink. Um, but the biggest thing for him is, I mean, um, I think two things for him have been really good. I think his attention to the defensive detail um, is much improved. 
and uh, it's allowed him to play with the puck more. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, the power play has been uh, productive early for us, and you know he's a he's a main guy in the power play. So I, I think both those things are giving him a lot of confidence. I think they're allowing him to get more uh, puck touches, and as a result, uh, you know when he gets time and space with the puck, he can usually do things with it. It's been a great start for him. Peter, here's an observation I would make, too, about Johnny Gaudreau. Okay. Not not everybody in the league is at the same level in regards to being interviewed. But guess what? I am even noticing a massive difference in Johnny Gaudreau's interviews, how he answers the questions. Where did he go to with the first part of that answer? He didn't talk about his eight-game point streak. He talked about he and Sean and being comfortable and taking pride on what side of the game, the offensive side or the defensive side. He talked about the defensive side. So that tells me unto itself. He's thinking it different. He's feeling about it different. He's getting results from having that happen. That, to me, is starting to speak volumes. And while Johnny Gaudreau is never going to be a Selkie Trophy candidate, as I stated earlier, and it'll be the strongest thing I say today, understanding that it is really hard for all of us when our game isn't translating in our lives, in our professions, the way we want, I don't believe you just stay in one place and don't examine the hard stuff. Get to the hard stuff. There's value in it, and we get to ask for more, but the first place it needs to start is with ourselves. And Johnny Gaudreau, I feel, is asking more from himself seeing it different and he's getting to a better place and i think you you bring up a, a good point like he to, to to what you said like he he's probably not going to end up on a lot of selkie ballots in his career that, that's probably not where this is going to go but just be good enough defensively where you're not spending 35 seconds in the defensive zone then have to dump the puck in for a change like be good enough in your own end so that you get the puck on your stick and you do what it is that you do really really well Offensive players, any level, they want the puck. The hardest sell for elite-level offensive players, and this doesn't come from me, this comes from covering the sport at every level, but the common denominator, whether it's been in junior, whether it's been in minor hockey, whether it's been in the NHL, is the understanding of the better you are in all areas and without the puck allows you to have it more, and the more that you have it, the better chance you have of doing the things that you love to do as an offensive player. You will not find, Peter, a coach at any level, I think, that is going to dispute what I just said, and it is not an easy sell at times. Yeah. 
No, and it's something that, again, that, that Gaudreau has had some trouble with in the past, but it does seem like that that area is certainly rounding into form. Uh, as we chat with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Hockey Central at noon on, on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Well, one last thing on Gaudreau. Um, we talk about the mm -hmm. confidence. How much do you think the, the power play is helping his confidence? Like, just seeing the puck go from his stick into the net, regardless of how many players the other team has, how much do you th how much do you think that has helped kind of get him back into the, this confident form that we are seeing with him now? What has he been known for? Producing offense. The mm. other thing, even in-game, is this. So, when you break down and analyze a game, what can really happen for so many outstanding offensive players is the power play gets them puck touches. And when those puck touches are good and lead to goals or, or good opportunities, don't you think it feeds your five-on-five five confidence? So that, to me, is an undervalued and maybe underappreciated part of the game, too. And yet, it also, Peter, works the other way. When you're power playing, you're fighting it, and every time you know, you're touching it, it's not turning into anything. I think negatively, that affects your five-on-five five play, too. So it is. All the aspects either create confidence or take away confidence in the framework of games, periods, even shifts. So, yes, power play success, and Jeff Ward has pointed to it. Jeff Ward has put it pretty basic about Johnny Gaudreau, you know, outside of what I just talked about, and that's the people piece and the mindset piece, which I think is even more important, but because that allows you to get to better places in the details, but Jeff has said his defensive details are better, and the power play has helped feed it. That kind of wraps it in a bow, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that, that sums it up pretty perfectly. Um, and, and we talk about confidence, and we saw a couple of nights ago against Montreal where the, the opposite, I guess it, the, the same thing happened, but for the Habs, where they scored two on the power play and never looked back. And there was an opportunity for that to happen again last night where, as you mentioned to start, the Jets scored two on the power play and the Flames never went away. And five on five, uh, it felt like the, the Flames had a, a pretty good grasp on things. The, the special teams is going to be a big part of it, but most of the game is spent, played five on five. What did you make of that aspect of things for the Flames? Peter, not unlike what we've talked about, you know, in a very strong manner about Jacob Markstrom, where that's a great card to play, but it can't be your every night calling card. Neither can the power play, because at a certain point, you're not going to operate at, you know, 30-plus per percent and score every game on the power play. So, yes, you do have to defend extremely well five-on-five, five, and you have to win the five-on-five five battle. The Flames won that battle last night. I thought it was a situation that got better and better and more dangerous as the game went on and you know five on five play really is about being connected in all three zones but at the top of the list i think that you know 
and and we have great people on our station like Corey Sarge to you know break it down a little more technically. But when when you're connected in all three zones, and here's the difference. So last night, you know they were okay in the first period, right? But when they mm-hmm. dump pucks in, did did they apply a whole lot of pressure? No, because you have to be connected. And and when your four check is connected and five guys are feeding off one another and being in the right place for most teams, that is where, where do you think the Montreal Canadians are making hay? That's where they're making hay. They are connected everywhere, everywhere. And when you, even when you don't maybe have, Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and those kind of people to rely on as game breakers, there's nothing better than to be connected as a group. And I thought as the game went on and the Flames had to kind of throw it in the blender a little in the third to get there, how connected they were on their offensive forecheck and their regroups in the middle of the ice from about 80 feet in Massive difference. So I asked Elias Lindholm about that very subject on our post-game show. Key to our game, and, and we got some quick forwards up there that uh, are quick on on, uh, on the defensemen. So obviously in the first period, uh, our uh, forecheck was uh, wasn't very connected, and, and uh, made it we made it pretty easy for them to to break out every time, and, and uh, we didn't have the puck a lot, so that was tough, and and uh, that's something we gotta do better from the start tomorrow. And, and I thought uh, in the third you could see. Uh, once we got going and, and uh, uh, created a lot of chances of, of four checks, so uh, that's a key to our game. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be better from the start tomorrow. And it's it's interesting how when because again, I don't want to make this seem oversimplistic because hockey is a complicated sport with a number of things. But it really does seem like when the Flames are doing that well success follows and I'm sure there are a number of other variables included in that but it really does seem like when that aspect of the game is flowing and they are this connected unit and they're in on the forecheck and they're being aggressive in that way it seems to go really well for them Peter for any team in any aspect of our worlds are we better together or are we better when individuals are trying to just have their own agendas so Together, our focus sure. in our focus in analyzing sports, I think more than ever in the fantasy gambling nature of how we look at sports, and and it's not like it's changed dramatically. I mean, everybody grows up with their favorite teams and their favorite players, but in all sincerity, and I know maybe this is a show for another day, but I believe in it with every fiber of my being, the fantasy individual look at sports, which I think has never been greater, allows our minds when we look and break down sports way more about the individuals and how they're doing rather than the focus on where I've always felt is the great separator. And that's how excellent individuals work as a team. I believe, I believe that with every single fiber on every front that I just spoke about. I really do. And I might, 
I might in this day and age with younger generations, um, and I get that, and I'm okay with that too, be in the minority because that's okay. That's just, I believe in team. I really do. And I don't think you get anywhere in our business, in life, in sports, until team, until you find a way to bring different groups of people together and have them buy in in understanding that every individual is going to feel it, handle it, process it, be pragmatic or emotional about it. And I think that's a kind of a good segue to the, the last thing I want to bring up today, and that is Sam Bennett. Obviously, uh, there are a couple of ways that these things can go when trade requests are made and you start talking about changes of scenery. And we've seen that this year. Patrick Laine handled his trade situation a whole lot differently than Pierre-Luc Dubois did. And it's only one night, and there, there is always the potential for things to change. Uh, but one night in... Trade requests or whatever did not affect the buy-in of Sam Bennett. I, I thought that you got a fully engaged Sam Bennett last night. Well, what did you see from him? Exactly the same. I would say, and I, I rewatched the last two periods last night because I find when you're calling a game, you know, there's so many different things on your plate, whether it's, you know, listening to your teammates, um, you know, replays, reading sponsor lines, that it can be hard, you know, to get a great feel for everybody in the game. And I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine who, who loves Sam's game and challenged me, you know, to spend more time. So I went home last night and I thought he was good when I watched it with my own two eyes. And then I watched again and I went, he was really good. And he's been really good in the last two games. And does it surprise me, Peter? No. It doesn't because when Sam Bennett has been at his best is when he's had the most juice. Sam Bennett loves to play hockey. And in fact, I think whether he'd even admit it to himself or not, he enjoys being in the spotlight. There, there's, there's some extra focus on him right now. And I think he's getting some juice from it. Now, did it come in a way that he's probably completely comfortable in? That the hockey team is completely comfortable in? No. But isn't the reason that you prosper when things are hard is because you can find a way to be comfortable in the uncomfortable? I believe it is. And I could draw a hundred parallels, including parallels to how I process things, as to why that is the case. If, if you're a big game, emotional person, no matter where that juice comes from, when you have the juice, you're generally at your best. But what can be difficult is when you have to create your own juice. And how do you control that to be at your best? So emotional engagement, it's not about not being emotionally engaged for Sam. It's about getting his juice to use it rather than, I think, when he has time to think about other things, that takes away from the juice. 
and can get in the way. You know, players spend a boatload of time and, you know, teams, teams have sports scientists and, and, you know, sports psychologists and they're, they're, they've never been more important because of the outside noise, Peter, and the social media influence. Listen, I'm 55 and had a few trials and tribulations in my world and for me, it'll probably never stop because I'm such an emotional guy and I feed on the good stuff. And to be honest, I feed on the bad stuff too. But what I've started to learn the last few years is as, as good as you can be in the juicy situations, how do you drive yourself and be emotionally attached the right way when you have to kind of create it or it's not there? That is the challenge. Yep. No, for sure. Uh, we'll see if the juices can be flowing tonight. It is the, the Flames and the Jets uh, facing each other for a, a back-to-back and uh, a couple teams who are going to be uh, very familiar with themselves uh, or with each other, I guess, by the end I of love the week. It. Uh, oh, it's going to be fun. I, I can't wait for tonight. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a blast. For some people, and and I'm probably not one of them, and I'm in I'm in the minority. I'll take these mini playoff series from now until the end of time. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm liking it a lot more than I was expecting to. I, I have absolutely no problem with this continuing. I, I don't think the Flames need to make four trips to the East Coast when when we get back to normal. Like I, I think I think you can do these sorts of things. I, I'm I'm quite enjoying this. You know what else I enjoy? What a mm. pleasure it is to actually, it probably shouldn't work this way, but I love it when we bring the Hall of Famer on, Eric Dehacek. Uh It's must listen to for me with all his experience and stories and where he's been. So I'll let you take the ship and steer it beautifully the rest of the way with Eric. All right, will do. And some good stuff with Eric. He's uh, posted a couple good articles this week, so looking forward to diving into that. And Lou, looking forward into diving into tonight's game when we chat again tomorrow. Thanks, Mr. Klein. Have a great one. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. As you just heard, Mr. Labardio is back on Hockey Central at noon, and he'll be answering your questions from the mailbag every Friday. To submit your questions, send it to sportsnet.ca slash 960. If yours is answered, you'll be walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. When you hear the sizzle of the best steak in town, you can't help but get excited. And at Ruth's Chris, they can't wait to celebrate with you again soon. Go Flames, go. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, Eric DeHatchuk. Um, it's been an interesting week for the Calgary Flames. It seems like they've handled that well. And we also have an eye towards next year with a couple of questions for Duha coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Another Flames game day as they get set to take on the Winnipeg Jets today. Again, 5 o'clock warm-up, 6 o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, after last night's win in a shootout, the Flames look for a sweep of this back-to-back. They, again, play 
quite a bit. Uh, but back-to-back uh, -back games for the Flames against the Jets. Um, very happy to, to welcome back Eric Dehatchuk a little bit later than normal. Uh, Eric, I apologize for my poor clock management. How are you today, sir? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I was uh, had a chance to listen to uh, most of your segment with uh, with Lubo, and uh, yeah, I always enjoy it because you know I find that I'm I'm a little bit disconnected from the team just because of the nature of COVID and everything else. So I find, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners are like that too, to you know to get a like a like a, a more detailed account of what's going on with them. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a very good segment even for me who's. You know, does this for a living, but just, uh, just you're not as close to it. You're not at the rink. You're not talking to players. It, it just you feel a little bit disconnected from what is going on in this day and age. So uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I had uh, lots of fun listening to you guys. Oh, well, thank you. Good. Uh, glad that we could delay you, but still entertain you. Um, <laughs> with with the, the, the Flames, um, this would have been quite the year to be able to be at the Dome, especially the, this last week, as we had a Dubé hit, a Bennett trade request, a players-only meeting. Uh, quite a, uh, an eventful week for the Flames, but it seems like they're coming out pretty good on the other side, uh, as the, the two games post-players-only meeting, it, it feels like Calgary has responded. What have you thought of Calgary's reaction to their players-only meeting a couple games ago? Yeah, well, it's a good question because there's a part of me that thinks that that those things work only occasionally. So if if you get into the the pattern, and this sometimes does happen to teams where uh, where you have a players only meeting and then it you know it's still not not working, and then you have another one and it's still not working, and after a while. You know, it 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 it, it that doesn't solve a problem. It, it sometimes even can create more problems. When they work is is when there are uh, are a complete clear the air. Uh, there's a complete clear the air approach to it. So everybody, you know, you go player by player. Uh, if ever, you know, if you have something to say, say it. Stand up, say it. You know, normally the veteran leadership group takes over and, and runs the thing, and, and you know, most of the younger players are smart enough to, you know, to listen and, and take it all in. But you know, I mean, you know, if if somebody's having an issue, I mean, it's team sport, so everybody has to be contributing. If somebody ha has an issue, you know, that is the time to step up and say something. But as I say, I. I'm I'm always you know back and forth on on these types of things because uh, you know like if if it brings everybody to attention which is apparently apparently what it's done it's great um, if you have it and and the results aren't there then you know then then you've got problems and you know when I think so let's fast forward to last night's game you know first period wasn't very good and what turned the game around like a complete and utter fluky goal right and and you know those happen over the course of the season. But if you ever, if you ever sort of prayed to the hockey gods and say, okay, we need something really weird and good to happen, and we need it to happen right now, you probably would have said, you know, hey, if you know if Chris Tanev can score from from his own side of center in the seven seconds into the second period of a game where we we weren't very good, that we want that. And so, you know, they got you know, they got it delivered, and then they ended up, you know, turning the game around, and they were they were real good after that. So. Um, you know, but and momentum in professional sport, as you know, once you have it, you got to keep you know going with it and, and hope that it builds and builds and builds like a snowball. So things looked as if they might be snowballing downhill for a while there, and now they've managed to sort of stanch it a little bit, and now they've they've got it going in the other direction. You know, it can change again really really quickly, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to see over the course of this shortened season that. Uh, 
you know, think about Vancouver, you know, terrible. And then Ottawa comes to town and it looks like they've got it going. And then Ottawa leaves and they play Montreal again and they're terrible again. So bottom line is I always go back and I stare at the standings. And this year is what's really interesting is that you, you have to, instead of, you know, clicking first on points, I click on points percentage because there's such a disparity between the number of games that the teams have played. That you know, so where do the, where are the Flames? Okay, technically sixth in points, fourth in in percentage. So that's where you want to be. You want to be in the top four. You don't have to be first. You don't have to be anywhere. You just have to be in the top four, and they are. And so you know, I, I think that they would take it right now if, if you if you said, you know, back in the 13th of January, if you're fourth and hanging in there and sorting things out, are are, are you good with that? And then they would probably all say yeah. And that top four, as you said, gets this team into the postseason. Well, one of their key postseason contributors apparently doesn't exactly want to be here anymore. As Sam Bennett has, uh, through his agent, requested a, a change of scenery for the, the Calgary Flames. We've talked about this over the last couple of days. It's one where I don't know if anyone necessarily saw it coming, but I don't think you see that news and go, oh, well, I thought it was going so well. Like, there's, there's obviously <laughs> no, no, been... Right. Um, well, I mean, you know, one of the things that's come up, and, I, and, it, and it's really true, is that, you know, like, the, the most important thing right now is, is this season and results on the ice and, and tonight's game and then the game after that and the game after that. But if you're in charge of planning <clears throat> the long-term future of this organization and, and, and realize that you've got an expansion draft coming up uh, uh, for Seattle, you know, once the season is over, and you have eight forwards that you want to protect, at some point, you're, you're going to have to do something anyway. Otherwise, you're going to risk losing a valuable contributor in an expansion draft. And historically, teams don't want to do that. So I think that, you know, not just Calgary, every team, you know, has a sort of a tentative expansion list for Seattle and plans to, you know, tweak it if they can between now and the time that Seattle drafts. Now, that's not to say you want to take a contributing player out of your lineup right now, because what have we learned so far in the in, in this, you know, the, sort of the COVID world that, you know, you can lose players in a hurry and the minute you start stripping yourself of depth, that's when you need it. So I think that, you know, typically what happens in situations like this is that, you know, the coaches will meet with, with, with players um, you know, the, the, the player probably has to explain, you know, what his position is to his teammates. What what can create a problem is, is essentially, I think, what happened in Columbus, because I think that, you know, that that shift, that, that one single shift that was on all of the YouTube highlights of, of Dubois kind of, you know, loafing back and forth, you know, that, that precipitated, um, you know, a dressing room conversation between him and, and the players. And the players said, look, if you, if you don't want to be here and if you're not prepared to work while you're here, then, you know, like that, that we have a problem. So what I've seen of Sam Bennett is he's playing really well. And, and he, you know, he's, he, he is doing essentially what Patrick Lina was doing uh, before he got hurt. You know, Lina had a similar situation with Lina, you know, long-term, you know, if you can find another place for me. What did he do in that first game against Calgary? He was the best player on the ice. So if, if you legitimately want to be traded, the best way that you can do that is give opposing teams a reason to do it. 
Like if, if teams are scouting Sam Bennett right now and they see playoff Sam Bennett, they see involved Sam Bennett, they see all the different things that he can do. Like he, you know, he contributes in lots of ways. You know, and, and I think that you know part of the issue here is that he hasn't really gotten the opportunity to score because he generally isn't on either of the, the first two power plays, and he has occasionally. Uh, been guilty of taking bad penalties. And so uh, most teams, when they see his draft pedigree, when they see his age, when they see his contract status, and then they see an effort, which is really key, there's a lot of teams that are going to kick the tires on him. And then it's just a matter of, you know, are you better off taking some future pack consideration for him, like a draft choice, or, or maybe, you know, there, there are a number of teams that don't have expansion draft issues, and maybe you can trade him for a prospect in the system that, you know, that will, will stay with you beyond the Seattle thing. So it's complicated. And uh, my guess is that, you know, they're not in a rush to accommodate his, his wish, uh, but as long as it doesn't, you know, boil over into a situation like it did with Columbus and, and, and Dubois, you can, you know, press on like this for a while yet. And for a number of the reasons you just laid out, it's a tricky trade to make. And also because of how all over the place his game is. Like if you if you are trading regular season Sam Bennett, I don't know how much you're getting. And if you're trading playoff Sam Bennett, I don't know how you win that trade. Like it, it is it is a real fascinating trade to, to have to put together because of the how different his game can be from one night to the next. Well, and the other thing is that there's there's two ways of, of, of doing it. One is to try and, if you're taking him out of the lineup, you need a guy coming back in because, you you know, like you have depth, but maybe you don't have as much depth as, as you'd like, and, 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 and you just have to be real careful right now because, you know, they have only played eight games. There's still 48 to go. You cannot leave yourself vulnerable, and often that's what happens. You know, you, you, know, you move a guy like, uh, like Bennett, and then, and then you lose, a, you know, like Colorado, losing Nathan McKinnon week to week. You know, ooh, that doesn't look too good right so um but but on the other hand if, if you do take a contributing player back then you're back into the situation where you have uh, an issue for the expansion draft whereas if you turn to let's say you know los angeles is the example i always use because i think they have like 10 or 12 roster exempt players so you know you've got a, a very detailed scouting staff you know the pedigree of all of those players that are on la's list la probably doesn't need you know 10 or 12 almost NHL-ready players, they probably need help in the moment. So is there a deal there, you know, where you send the player off of your roster that helps, you know, the Kings immediately, and then you get someone back that, you know, that is, you know, six months away from playing in the NHL or maybe 12, but, but you know, has, a, has the, the upside that, uh, you know, where, where he can play for you, in, in, at least in the, in the top nine. So it's complicated, and, you know, I think you know, Bradtree Living's history is that he's always talking to all of his colleagues all the time. So I'm sure that, you know, that he wants, you know, the notification that Bennett had asked for this trade came out, you know, the, the people that are interested in bringing in a player of his, of his caliber, they're, they're calling and they're, they're, you know, wondering what the asking price is. And, you know, that's how these things start. But I always say too, that, you know, that in teams, you know, like if, if they're even talking about it publicly, which they often aren't, you know, the, the message is always going to be, you know, we're going to do what's in the best interest of the hockey team. And, you know, and if at some point we can do something that is in the best interest of the hockey team involving a, a trade for this player, we'll do it. But until then, you know, we don't want to be, you know, pushed into something or rushed into something that doesn't work. 
Chatting with Eric DeHatchik from The Athletic here on Hockey Central at noon. Um, a couple of pieces that you've written between the, the last time we chatted with you and now that I, I want to, to touch on a little bit. I uh, obviously don't want to give too much away, but uh, you and Thomas Trance, I believe, came out with uh, Olympic rosters. As It feels like about a billion years from now, but uh, we are approaching the 2022 Olympics and uh, the NHL still anticipating to, to be a part of that. Uh, Hockey Canada roster obviously with the talent base that we have in this country a lot can change between now and then but just putting together that roster your initial thoughts on how Canada is going to look the next time we get a potential best on best situation yeah well I mean it's a great question and and, and I think you probably know the answer which is like it is really hard to come up with a 25 <laughs> player roster for uh, Canada's Olympic team and, and by the way the reason we're doing it this week and we're not just doing Canada we're doing I think all six six or seven of the major countries I, I'm doing Sweden as well is because we're, we're approaching the, the one year anniversary so assuming everything like the world is semi back to normal and everything goes according to the plans the the 22 Winter Olympics will open in in China on the 4th of February, so basically a year from now. So we're using that as a jumping-off point to, to do this uh, series of stories. And I've done a bunch of these in, in the past. And to me, when I started researching this, when I got the assignment, the first thing I did was go back to look at 2018. And it's amazing how you forget, right? So if I were to say to you, could you name the leading scorers of the 2018 Olympic team for Team Canada? Well, Maxime Noro and Derek Roy tied with seven points apiece. And Ben Scrivens was a goaltender, basically, for most of the games that matter, and uh, goals against average of under two. But, but you forget sometimes. It's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, it was a competitive team. They played well defensively. I thought Sean Burke did a great job of assembling the roster. But, but boy, it, it just didn't pop the way, say, the Sochi team did or the Vancouver team did or, or the Salt Lake City team did. And when you get NHLers, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And the, the hardest thing is, you know, uh, the last time we had best-on-best best competition was the 2016 World Cup. So, again, five years ago. And Canada didn't have access to its top player pool because they had that crazy team North America. So, you, you know, like, even though you might want, have wanted Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon, you didn't get them. So this will be the first chance that those players have to play for this team. So if you take all of the great young players that have come in the game that you know have Canadian birth certificates and all the players that are still in their primes and then you try to distill it down to and we picked 25 player rosters because that's what they allowed in Sochi when you have an Olympics that that's far that's that far off you can't just have a 23 player roster and then bring somebody in an emergency it's just too far to go so you bring in 25 players and you you take 14 forwards and eight defensemen and, and three goalies and and then and then you pick your team and you know what you'll find is you know, way too many centers. Like you're basically going to have two centers on every line, which is good if you're a coach that likes matchups. Because if you have a right-hand shooting center and left-hand shooting center, you know, you never really have to have to make any last-minute adjustments. You've always got somebody out on the ice to take a defensive zone draw that that you like. So it's it's fascinating. And and to me, the hardest part, and then from what I gather from the people commenting on, what are we, what what is Canada doing in goal? Because you're kind of at that point now where you know, like a year from now, is, is Carey Price your number one? Is Jordan Bennington your number one? Uh, you know, I, I had, you know, honorable mention to Mackenzie Blackwood, and there's a bunch of people saying, Mackenzie Blackwood, who, you know, who the heck is he? You know, that kind of, so it's the one position where other countries seem to have as much or more depth than Canada. And I think that that's going to be ultimately when, when the real general manager picks the real team, that will probably be the most controversial decision. It does certainly seem to be 
um, within the group that uh, that we've selected as well. Uh, and lastly, uh, your your look at the uh, the London Lions. Um, I, this was absolutely a blind spot for me in hockey history. I had no idea about any of this. And just that first story, I, I was absolutely hooked on the article. I, I don't want you to give too much away, but just this felt like an absolute, it would have been an absolute blast to write. Uh, just give us a, a brief synopsis of your, your London Lions story. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you for asking about that because actually there's a, there's a real strong Calgary connection and it goes back to, you know, Doug Barkley who used to, who did the, you know, the radio color commentary with Peter Marr for years and years and years and Al Coates who, who started out when I was first, you know, covering the NHL in 8081 as the director of communications, but eventually became the general manager here. Well, back in 1973-74, Bruce Norris, who owned the Detroit Red Wings at the time, asked Doug and Coatsy to to take half of the Red Wings farm team and they plunked them down in London, England. They played out of uh, Wembley Arena, which was the arena that was constructed in 1948 for the, the uh, swimming competition of, of the summer games. And there was, I guess, a wooden floor over this hole. They never filled in the hole. So, uh, that was the, the home base for the London Lions and they played 72 games. Uh, in the midst of those 72 games, they had to leave the arena for three months because the ice capades came in there. So they had a 41-game road trip through all of Europe, including communist Czechoslovakia at the time. They had all kinds of adventures and misadventures. It, it basically Slapshot goes to Europe, but with wives and children aboard because Rick McCann, the, the, the team captain, his wife Nancy was there and their young daughter Michelle. I mean, it, 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 it was just crazy. And I heard these stories originally because because when I was traveling with the Flames in the early 80s, you know, we'd be out for dinner, Bark and I and Coatsy and, you know, Peter Marr and, you know, Steve Simmons, George Johnson, the, you know, the whole traveling road show. And about the third bottle of wine on a night when you, you know, weren't in a rush to get uh, away from the dinner table, they'd start telling these stories about the London Lions. And they were so funny. I mean, honestly, it, it, it was clutching your belly, falling on the floor, laughing to hear some of, some of these stories. And uh, so, yeah, so last June, Coatsy and I and Bart got together at Coatsy's place in, in uh, northwest uh, Calgary and had a socially distanced uh, interview. And because I said, you know, guys, we're not getting any younger. And if we're ever going to write these stories down, it's got to be right now. So they were great. They told all of those stories. And then I subsequently started reaching out to the players that were on the team. And they were fantastic, too. Charlie Shaw, especially a defenseman on the team. He kept a diary of that year. And he also had a, tons of photos, which he shared with us. So, yeah, we published it on the on our website, at the, you know, I work for the Athletic now, and I, I can tell you this: uh, you know, we have all these metrics that measure stories and this and that, and, and it is the highest-rated story I've ever had since I joined there, uh, in terms of reader satisfaction. They, you know, every story gets scored, and uh, this one uh, just blew everything else away. I, I'm, I'm tremendously uh, appreciative of, of the positive response to the story, and, and the reason that you would want to read it if, if you're listening right now is just it's really just a lot of fun. It's It'll make you laugh. And, you know, I honestly think that sometimes in sports we've kind of got away with that. Like, why do people watch sports? You know, they want to enjoy themselves, you know. And, and we do a lot of important investigative things. But I also think that occasionally we forget that that we do, we do it for the pure pleasure of, of, of watching sports. And, and we should do it for the pure pleasure of reading about sports. And, and I think that, you know, well, I'll ask you because you're the one that read it. I, most of the people that have responded to it just loved it. And because they were laughing, right? They, they're laughing out loud. People say, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, and my wife came in and that made me read it out loud because I, she couldn't understand why I was laughing so much. But anyway, what, 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 was that your response? Were you doing a lot of laughing? Oh, yeah. 
No, there were a couple of times where I had to stop and, and remind myself, like, this is real actual events that happened that this isn't just like someone making up a story for like a movie script or something that these are real things that happen to real people in real life and then that just makes it all the more wild and absurd some of the things that were happening uh, exactly and believe me that was i've been wanting to tell a story for a long time and i finally got uh, you know coatsy and bark to sit down i remember and i asked coatsy i said how come like because if you again you google the london lines and there's not that much on the internet and i said how come how come this hasn't been a book or a movie or, or whatever? And, and Cozy's answer was simply says, nobody asked. And I thought, wow, nobody asked. Boy, you know, that's, that's an indictment of our profession, I guess, a little bit, too. So I've been asking for a while, but I finally got them to do it. And, yeah, it was really, you know, your first question, was it fun? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was one of the most fun stories I've ever written in 40, what, three years, I guess, of doing this. It was, it's just, you know, I'm laughing out loud. And it was, uh, and people seem to really enjoy it. So, yeah, I, and thank you for asking about it. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for writing it. Like, like I said, it was a blast and could not recommend it enough for people who haven't checked it out. Eric, this was fun today, man. Thank you for doing this. We'll chat again next week. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. There is uh, Eric Dehatchik, our NHL insider and London Lions insider, joining us on the Outlook Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. For takeout and delivery when you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. That's going to do it for Hockey Central at noon. Will Nalt joins with the big show next as we break down a Flames victory and a lot of positives to take from it. Uh, we'll break all that down coming up next.